Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. Mark chapter 10 from verse 17, have that there with you. Money, let's talk about money. Uh, We can't live without it. I know some people can try to do it, but I need money to live. I'm sure most of us do. We need money to buy food, to pay the bills. That reminds me of, I think I've got an overdue bill. Um, Make a note of that for later, Nathan. Uh, Yes, we need money. I I don't know if you realise this, but the scriptures, it speaks about uh, money quite a bit. And Jesus is talking about the topic here again. Wealth uh, in this story of the rich man. So I look back at various stages of my life and I think about, I guess, the importance of money in particular times of my life. You know, there's the child stage where money isn't really that important to you. It's not really, it is, but it's not really relevant to your everyday life, or so you think. Uh, But maybe you get pocket money when you're a kid. Maybe, maybe not. Um, You need pocket money to buy those 50 cent lolly bags from the canteen. But then you get your first job, you're a bit older, you get your first job or a series of jobs when you're a teenager. I've, I had work in orchards or um, beekeeping, cleaning, warehouse work, forestry work, volunteer, team leading. I could go on. Lots and lots of different jobs. And a little bit of money starts to come in when you're about that age. But then you realise over time that you actually do need a job. Uh, and money is quite a big deal and you need to be able to have things Um, need to have it to be able to get things and just get by every week. When Sarah and I went into study in Sydney, we moved to Sydney for three years. Um, I was studying full-time. Sarah was at home with two children at the time. We didn't really have much money to go get us through, Um, but we lived off the generosity of others, of of scholarships and the government. I don't know if you can relate to this. We have different phases of life where money, we have less money or or more money. Money for all of us is a big part of our lives, no matter how much we have or don't have or how much we think we need or we don't, or how much we don't have. So we all need to think carefully about money and we need to do so in a God-honouring, Christian, Jesus-focused way. And so this story of the rich young man is really helpful because this part, this part of God's word is speaking to a, about a topic that's really relevant to every one of us, but also Jesus is giving us a warning here about money. Money can, as Jesus is teaching here, have a negative influence, more than negative, a dangerous influence over our hearts. Money can have a particular hold over us, whether we realise it or not. Money can have have the power to blind us to our spiritual condition, and that's really the, the warning of Mark chapter 10. But the good news of this passage is that God opens our eyes to see what money is doing within us. God opens our eyes to see what money is doing within us, and that He is the one who is our Saviour. He is our saviour and he is the one who brings us into his kingdom. Jesus saves us so we need not be consumed by the love of money. So let's uh, go through this part of God's word and I've got three points. First point is 
a rich man looking for eternal life. That's the first point. The second point is the real problem with money. And the third point is how can anyone be saved? That's the question uh, that we find at the end of the passage. How can anyone be saved? So the first point, let's, let's look at this uh, story together from verse 17. And here we meet a rich man looking for eternal life. Verse 17 says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in the other gospel accounts of this story, um, we find this is a young man and also that he's a ruler, rich young ruler, you might call him. Uh, so he has some authority. Uh, he's someone with influence. He's also wealthy. He's rich. Very important for the story. He's rich. So he comes up to Jesus and he kneels before Jesus. So that's kind of a very respectful kind of posture, isn't it? He's kneeling before Jesus. And he asks a very important question. How can I inherit eternal life? How can I get eternal life? How can I receive eternal life? It's a great question. I would love someone to ask me that question. This man on the outside, he has made it. He is at the top. He's hitting targets, setting goals, achieving them. He's young, he's successful, he's influential, but he doesn't have it all together. He doesn't have it all together. He senses, he knows there is a lack in his life, that he's spiritually empty. There's something missing. He knows there's something more. So he's, he's there with Jesus right now. He's asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why is he asking that? Because he, know, he, he knows he doesn't have eternal life. In Mark's gospel, eternal life and the kingdom of God, they're really talking about the same kind of thing. Um, to have eternal life is about how we receive the kingdom of God, how we come to know God and come under King Jesus' loving rule over our lives, how, it's how we come into right relationship with God, reconciled to God. And it's what as we as Christians, we're in, the, we're in the kingdom of God. We have eternal life. And Jesus is our King and Saviour and Lord. So um, this man is asking about that sort of question. How does Jesus respond? Verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, this man has probably unknowingly made the connection between Jesus and God. And Jesus' reply here is, um, you can kind of almost see his smile on his face when he replies, no one's good but God alone. You're closer than you think, mate. It's kind of what he's saying. Then Jesus recites these laws from the Old Testament, most of them from the Ten Commandments. Verse 19, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud on your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. What's he doing? He's saying, yep, I've kept those commandments, Jesus. Um, do not murder, tick. Uh, Honouring mum and dad, tick. Yeah, on the surface, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm doing all right. And the young man is like so many people who haven't really thought about what the commandments are about and really haven't thought about the heart of what these laws are about. For example, the heart of the commandment, not to murder. What is it? It's to love other people, isn't it? To love people, to promote life, beginning, middle and end of life. The heart of commandment, not to commit adultery. It's not just not committing adultery. 
How do, how do you keep that commandment? It's faithfulness. Faithfulness which reflects God's faithfulness. To keep the command, do not steal, what is it? It's not just not stealing, it's being generous. But Jesus doesn't talk about that sort of thing. What does he say? He wants to show the man one particular thing that's going on in his, man, in his heart. So verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. The one thing you lack, Jesus says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What does he do? What does Jesus do? He's doing some digging, some excavation work. He's getting out the, the bobcat and digging under the surface and seeing what's there because Jesus knows what's there. Jesus wants the young man to know that there is something ruling his heart. What is it? It's his wealth. It's his money. You know, God's law, it's like a, um, it's like a spotlight that shines bright, pure light. And when you shine that white light, what does it do? It reveals blemishes. And what, this is what Jesus is doing for this man. He's shining the piercing spotlight and he's revealing what is going on in this man's heart, the blemish. What's, what can we see? A heart that is consumed by the love of money. Uh, 1 Timothy uh, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You know, outwardly, this man was doing the right thing. Uh, on the surface, he looked like an upright guy, a successful man, a good bloke, you could say, someone you want on your team. But it wasn't enough. You see, it wasn't enough to be a good bloke. The young man sensed there was something wrong. He was right. So Jesus, Jesus lovingly shows him that it's his relationship with God that is only skin deep. Jesus shows him that his life was centred on himself rather than on God. And that his prize, his treasure, wasn't his father in heaven, but the zeros in his bank account. He was consumed with knowing his money rather than knowing God. And so Jesus says, if you were to enter the kingdom of God, young man, give your money away. Give it to the poor. And what you would have would be far greater, far more valuable. You would have treasure in heaven. Uh, Timothy Keller writes in his little commentary on Mark's gospel that this man, Jesus is asking this man to imagine life without his money. What would it be like, young man, to have no money? What would it be like? Could you live without it? Could you live life without access to this wealth? Could you do it but have me, Could, but you'd have Christ? Could you see the value in me, in Christ? Jesus says, give it away. It's keeping you from trusting me. But he's also showing him that he is much more valuable than a few dollars in the bank. He's infinitely valuable. But this story is a tragedy, for the man anyway. The tragedy is that rather than losing what he built his life on, the core of his identity, the young man decides that keeping his money and his wealth 
is worth more than knowing Jesus. That having money now for this life is worth more than eternity. That's what he chooses. And he turns away from Jesus and walks away. You see, this man knows he was spiritually empty now. He knows that he wasn't in the kingdom. He was asking about eternal life. How, must, how can I get eternal life, Jesus? But he doesn't like the answer. And in the end, he couldn't let go of the things that the thing in his heart that he loved most of all. The core of his being was tied up with his wealth. And he couldn't imagine life without it. You see, it's very possible for us to live a successful life or what appears to be successful. You know, we might stay out of trouble, you get along well with your co-workers, people might know you as a friendly person at the shop, you might do well in your job or business. Um, you might even do nice things like putting out the, the, the rubbish bin for your neighbour. On the surface, we might tick all the boxes and appear to be a great person. We might have a lot of money. Maybe you do. You might have influence. You might be successful in business and viewed highly in the community. But Jesus isn't only interested on the outside. He's interested in your heart. Very much what is going on inside you. So are there things that we're holding on to that Jesus says, you've got to give up? He's, he's asking us, are there things in your life that are keeping you from trusting in him? Well, that's the first point. This man is looking for eternal life. And so as this guy walks away, we're going to go to our second point now, which is the real problem with wealth. Um, verse 24, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. What does Jesus say here? It is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's what he says. Now, kids, do you know what a needle is? Do you know what a camel is? Yes. Yeah. How big's a needle? That's a big needle. <laughs> a knitting needle. Oh yeah, crochet hook or something. Little, yeah, probably bigger. This big? Something like that. Um, and how big's a camel? Big, yeah. <laughs> So, does a camel fit through the hole at the end of a needle? No, it doesn't. That's what Jesus says. Uh, it is humanly impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, just like a camel can't really get through a hole of a needle. Now, why does Jesus say this? Why does he say this? First, we have to think carefully about this. What is he saying about money? What is it about being rich? First of all, he's not saying that money is wrong. He's not saying that or owning things or buying things. Jesus doesn't have a problem with people having money per se, um, nor is he saying that rich people are bad and poor people are good or vice versa. 
No, Jesus loves this man. Verse 21, it says there, he loves the man who is rich, just as he loves those who don't have much in the way of money. But it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because money can keep you out of the kingdom. Because there's a problem with money. Money can have a power which can blind us from seeing our spiritual condition. That's what the rich young man couldn't see. What was he like? He thought he was doing well. He'd kept God's law, so he thought. But he was blinded and Jesus had to just shine that spotlight or do that excavation work and show him what his heart was like, what his spiritual condition was. Because money can blind people. That's the problem with money. It can become an idol. Money can set the agenda for what we love and want and hope for. And it can become something we build the core of our identity on. So what is an idol? Well, it represents a god. Now, idols might be a physical object uh, in a shrine or in a temple uh, or in your home. But it's not only that, according to the scriptures, an idol might be physical, but it might not be. An idol doesn't have to be a physical object. Idols can set up shop in your heart within us. So Colossians 3 verse 5 says, greed is idolatry. We can worship money and what money can do for us. We can live as though money is going to be our saviour because that's what we want in a God, isn't it? A saviour, a God that can save us. Uh, We can act as though money will keep me from being unliked. It can save me from being homeless. It'll save me from being lonely. It'll save me from having no car. It'll help me get what I need and want. And so if you lose money, if you lose possessions, you feel like you've lost everything. The world falls apart. And we can want money to give us security, not only salvation, but security. If I have a bit of money in the bank, then I'll be okay. A retirement benefit, superannuation, some savings. Now, of course, there's wisdom in this, but Jesus' point is you cannot trust in it. You cannot trust money. Money can act like a God to us. We can put our security in it. But the problem is money can't do that. You see, uh, you, you can get hacked and all your money can be taken from you. Uh, a crisis happens. You get sick and you have to spend all your money on medical bills. Money will not protect you in the end. Money is, can act as an idol in our hearts and it can blind us to our spiritual condition. It's kind of like when you're in the car at night and there's fog, you know, this is, this is very topical for this time of year. There's heaps of fog around on those cool, clear nights and fog on the road, it's hard to see, it's dangerous. Like a fog that blinds us, so money can, can descend over our hearts and our eyes and our spiritual sight so we can't see the danger that we're in. Money can have that power over us. That's why Jesus says, think about a camel, think about a needle. doesn't work. It's humanly impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so as a third point, how can anyone be saved? Because if money has this power over us, this influence over the human heart, the very real question is, 
how, can it be, how is it actually possible to be freed from this influence, this power? How can we escape the idols which rule our hearts, our desires, our, our lives? Is it possible to be free? Verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. How can we be saved? Humanly impossible, Jesus says. What hope is there? Very good question. And it gets to the heart of Christianity, the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, why Jesus came to this world. You see, salvation is not humanly possible. You see, it is impossible to free yourself from an idol. It is impossible for us to stop serving the idols that rule our hearts. The idols of money and sex and power and comfort and lifestyle, you could go on. Salvation is impossible with man, but the gospel is that all things are possible with God. How can we be saved? Only because God saves. And that's the very reason Jesus was there before that young man that day and the very reason we're here today in this room. To hear that Jesus, the King of God's kingdom, has come into this world to intervene when we are helpless, to rescue when we're in chains, to save us from idolatry. Jesus came to this world to live the life we could not live and die the death that we deserve for our idol worship. Jesus came to bear the punishment, the wrath of God, the judgment of God at the cross for our sin. And he did it for us. And he broke the power of death in in being raised from the dead so that we, men and women, boys and girls, might be saved. So that we, in the words of this man, might inherit eternal life. You see, it's only the gospel, only the power of God at work in our lives that can free us from serving idols, serving money. It's only when God gives us new hearts that we can, in his strength, by the Spirit, give up things for him. With man, this is impossible. You see, Christianity is not about what we do for God, it's about God's work for us. With man, it's impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Such is his power, his mercy and grace. But then let's continue on. Um, Peter and the disciples can't help but compare themselves to the rich man now. They can't help but wonder where they stand with God. And they're thinking, haven't we given up things for you, Jesus? Um, Maybe they're thinking about things they've held on to. Uh, Maybe we're asking ourselves, like the disciples are, are there areas of our, our lives that we haven't quite fully surrendered to our King? Are there things that we serve we haven't given up for the Gospel or the things we haven't quite let go of? Verse 28, Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the Gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Haven't we given up things to follow you, Jesus? And Jesus speaks these 
these wonderfully soothing words for the soul. You see, when we give up things for Jesus, whatever it is, whether it's our money or our status for being a Christian, our, um, our standing, uh, our job maybe where it's not a fit for being, our, being a Christian, when, when Jesus says giving up things, we've got to see that while there is sacrifice, it's not really a loss in the end. Yes, Jesus says there are persecutions for his followers. We need to remember that bit too. There is suffering when we follow Christ. But to sacrifice for Jesus isn't, isn't to lose out. He wants us to know that giving up for the gospel, giving things away from the gospel, giving our lives to Christ, is never really a loss. You know, we do give up things for Christ for his sake, and when we do, you'll be given back a hundred times in this life and in the life to come. That's what Jesus promises here. Now, that might seem an outlandish sort of promise, but what Jesus promises here is that we'll never lack, and he knows what we need, and he'll supply it, and he is very, very generous. So, if we follow Jesus, and we should follow Jesus, it might seem that you like you lose out. There may be real hurt. We can't minimise this. There may be real hurt if you become a Christian and you follow Jesus. Uh, it can be painful uh, making some sacrifices. Following Jesus has meant for many people being rejected by their family. I know that's the case. As Jesus mentioned this, mentions here, it may mean if you follow Jesus that you become cut off from people who love you. Perhaps you'll have a strained relationship with people. Believing in Jesus um, might mean stepping away from a community, people who you've relied on and have relied on you and, and have loved you. Following Jesus definitely means that things are never the same again. It might mean giving up things that have given you comfort in the past. But hold on to Jesus' words here. What does he say? He will supply family, relationships, community, houses, possessions. He promises to supply things in greater measure. Now, what you find that when, you're, when you follow Christ is that it's the greatest thing you can ever do. That the joy of knowing Jesus far outweighs anything that is lost and that the blessings of God are of infinite value. Jesus offers eternity, treasure in heaven, happiness, eternal joy. We get to know the God of the universe. That's pretty good, isn't it? Our maker, our creator, our saviour. Jesus says, follow me and you will gain everything. So by way of conclusion, money you know, can have a power over us, can't it? And like the rich man, the power of money can blind us to what's going on inside, our spiritual condition, idols. There are many idols that we can serve, but money is a particularly powerful one. Idols can rule our hearts. So we've got to be careful as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we uh, watch our hearts, guard our hearts, examine our motives and how we spend money and save money as individuals and as a church as a whole. Money can have power, but the gospel of the Lord Jesus is the way to be free from the love of money. Jesus frees us from the love of money. The gospel is the only way to be free. 
He frees us to use our money in a godly way, to approach our money in a Christ-honouring way, a wise way. And he shows us here today that, that salvation is only possible because God is the one who saves. With God, all things are possible. 